Welcome to FPC Meridian's Sermon Podcast. Today, Dr. Rhett Payne continues his series in the Book of Esther. This is the fourth part of the series, and it's entitled, Take a Stand. We begin by reading Esther chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Now let's begin. And fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits, but when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up, reaching to a height of fifty cubits, seventy-five feet, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord, through it. We thank you for the lessons we will learn today. And we thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit in this place. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How do you deal with pride? What are you proud of? Think of the things that you're proud of today. You're proud of your job. You're proud of your home. You're proud of your family. You're proud of your children. Proud of your wife. Proud of your husband. What are you proud of today? You know, there is a good form of pride. I have to say, oftentimes I'm proud of this church. I don't think that's wrong. But where does pride get bad? The Bible encourages us to be humble in the sight of God. And yet, many times we have to face the fact that we're proud in the face of God. We've been studying this book on Esther for several weeks now, and we've been studying about a self-centered, glory-hungry king named Xerxes, who seems to live with everything revolving around himself. We have a young Jewish girl named Hadassah, or Esther, who providentially rises to prominence because she wins a beauty contest to replace the deposed queen, Vashti. We learned of her cousin, or you might want to call him her uncle, or you might want to call him her father, because he's really a father figure, who has raised Esther since Esther was left an orphan after the death of her parents. And the last time we learned the reason that God has put her in this exalted place 
That being to save the Jew- Jewish people, the entire population of Jews in all the provinces from extermination. Which led to our getting to know the villain of this story. Every story has a villain, right? And the villain's name is Haman. And every time you hear Haman's name mentioned in the story, he's called Haman the Agagite. Because he comes from the descendants of Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites. So Haman is the enemy of the Jews, and in particular, the enemy of Mordecai the Jew. In chapter 5, we have the climax of the book. Do you remember why? Esther is set to go before the king to intervene on behalf of her people. She has been urged to go before the king, urged to do so by Mordecai, her father. And she is going to go before the king, and that's a big deal. You might wonder, why is it such a big deal for the queen to appear before the king without an invitation? Well, one person describes it as playing Russian roulette. Because to appear before the king without an invitation was to subject yourself possibly to immediate execution. So it was not an empty threat. This morning, let's look at three lessons in our story. The first being Esther's courage. Esther's courage. Esther knew what she was doing. If you remember last time, she basically came to the decision she was going to go before the king. And she said what? If I perish... I perish. So she was about to risk her life by preparing to approach the king. She knew she could face immediate death. After all, there was a soldier standing behind the king with an axe, and he knew how to use it. So Esther prepares herself to come before the king using great wisdom for someone her age. She asked Mordecai to call upon all the Jews in Susa to fast for her. We can also assume this meant to pray for her. Why? Because fasting and praying are always a couplet in Scripture. The omission of this in the book, in my opinion, is due to the fact that this writing is based in Persia, in a pagan land. So, think of the risks that Esther is taking. You've got the decree by Haman to annihilate the Jewish people, which is now law. And there is this thing in this land... The laws of the Medes and the Persians, which is an irrevocable law. If there's a law, you cannot revoke it. It cannot be taken back. So that's a problem. Then you've got her appeal must include at some point that Haman isn't the only one who has deceived the king. She did as well because she's never told him her nationality. Then you've got her appeal going against one of the most powerful men on earth, that being Haman, And Haman's basically the prime minister of the land, second in command. And then Esther's appeal will no no doubt strike a blow to the pride of the king. Because he will learn as she approaches him that he has been duped by the prime minister. And that doesn't make the king look good. So look at verse 1 again. You probably didn't notice this, but it's a pretty important one. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, On the third day. Now, that means the third day of the fast, at which time Esther puts on her royal robes, which must have been beautiful, which only served to enhance her natural beauty. Verse 1 continues, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes 
and stood. And I want to pause at that point for effect. She put on her royal robes and she stood. She stood at the entrance hall. She took a stand. Had to be a scary point when she walks into that court where no one was allowed. Everyone, everyone who entered the presence of the king was not to stand. Anyone who entered the presence of the king was to prostrate herself or himself before the king. To let him know how much she adored him. Because according to their law, the king was a god. Yet Esther stood. Not only has she not been called to appear before the king, but in this culture, she was basically confronting the king. And I'm sure she got everyone's attention. So it's really a moment of truth. We have our prayer list. I hope you take the time to to look at the different names, not just on the front, but on the back. And there are four worldwide requests. Bo had the privilege of meeting Andrew Brunson, Bo and Lindsay at General Assembly, a man we prayed for for two years. And there's a, a teenager on our list that I hope you don't neglect. Her name is Leah Sharabu. She's 16 years old. Last year, February the 19th, 2018, she was abducted along with 109 of her classmates from a school in her home in Nigeria, in Dapchi. Boko Haram abducted all these kids from this school and took them into kidnapping, into hiding. Eventually, five of them were murdered. Most of them were released. But not Leah. Why was Leah not released? Because she refused to bow her knee to Boko Haram and to Boko Haram's God. She refused to convert to Islam. She refused to repudiate the name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is her Lord and Savior. She was kidnapped at 14 years of age, and now she is 16 years of age, and her mother was in Washington week before last to testify on her behalf. How does a 16-year-old get this kind of courage to face up to Boko Haram, an evil terrorist organization, and say, I will not do it. I will not back down. Please pray for Leah. Please pray for her release, that she could be freed and return to her mother. Now look at the second verse of chapter 5. Verse 1 says, The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance, and when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So... She's not going to be killed. She's not been called to appear before him in 30 days. She was nervous about this. She's, she's going to survive this. He loves her. He has great feelings and affection for her. And so he's pleased with her. And verse 3 is where we know that the king understands that the queen would not enter his presence unless it was important. So he asked in verse 3, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? You ever have a conversation that's so important... 
Maybe it's a conversation you have with your, your husband or your wife or your parents or your employee or your boss. You understand there's a good time for this conversation. There's also a bad time for this conversation. And so you have to be real wise about when to do it. You need wisdom when facing a situation even close to the one that Esther is facing. Turn with me to James chapter 1, the book of James in the back of the New Testament. And right at the beginning of James chapter 1 is a a verse that should be a memory verse for all of us. Verse 5. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So Esther, I'm telling you, she's a young adult. She displays incredible wisdom because her request seems unusually simple. Listen to verse 4. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Huh. This makes you question why Esther didn't just tell the king what was on her mind and unburden herself, telling the truth of what's going on with her people. But she doesn't do that because she's wise. She's using great wisdom. And as the story progresses, we will see how this was perfect planning on her part. So they have a banquet, uh, but the king knows the queen didn't just ask him uh, to come before him for a dinner date. So he inquires again at the banquet in verse 6 and says, what is your petition? And once again, Esther invites the king and Haman to another banquet the following day. And this is where she basically sweetens the pot by saying, at that banquet tomorrow, I will answer the king's question. So she leaves him hanging. And Esther's courage is incredibly impressive, is it not? Where did she get that kind of courage? From the Lord. From the Lord. In response to the prayers of God's people on her behalf. You know, when you pray on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord hears those prayers. So I want to encourage you in your prayer time. And there may be times where you need courage in the face of a decision, in the face of somebody that you need to talk to. And when you need his strength and his courage the most, his word says he will supply it. I love the one where the disciples are getting instructions about going into hostile areas. And he says, you'll be called before kings and don't even worry about what to say because the Lord will give you the words when you stand before those kings. Deuteronomy 31.6 is a great verse. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 23 verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. The Lord your God is with you. And then... Luke 12, Jesus said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? You know, when you have a big thing you're facing, don't worry. Turn it over to the Lord. Cast your cares on the Lord, 1 Peter 5 says. And then 2 Timothy 1 says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. You know, how many of us in the face of something big, we get real timid and shy. But he gives us power, love. And self-discipline.
I, I would love to have been there that day when Esther stood before the king and to see her countenance and to see the courage she had because it took courage and God gave it to her. So Esther's courage is lesson one. Lesson two is Haman's pride. Haman's pride. Look at verse nine in our text. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. Why, why did he do that? Because he'd been invited by the queen to a banquet just for him and the king. And we need to emphasize that day because it was to be the last day. It was to be the last day he ever felt like that again. He was happy. What had him so excited? Being with the king and queen, only him, not his wife. Isn't that something? He didn't care that his wife wasn't going to be there. He was going to be there. That's all that mattered to Haman, because everything about Haman was all about him. He was probably thinking, my wife and family, they're going to be, all my sons are going to be so proud of me. And he also was thinking, and all my friends are going to be so jealous of me. It's just another reminder that happiness is not what life is all about. How many of you have thought, I I would be so happy if this happened? Or I would be so happy if that happened? You know, we we base our happiness on life events. And and look, I, I get it, but what I hope you don't miss from our text is the fact that human happiness is oftentimes built on a shaky foundation and and really on false hopes. So it says he went out in happy in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai, okay, he runs across his enemy. He saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence. He was filled with rage against Mordecai. So notice how quickly his happiness evaporates. Does that ever happen to you? You're having a great day and all of a sudden you run into the wrong person. And all of a sudden you're not happy anymore. Why is it our happiness is built on that kind of foundation? What a ridiculous foundation to allow someone to take away our happiness and our joy. Haman's happiness depended on his circumstances, in this case on his being honored. And as soon as he runs into Mordecai, his happiness evaporates. Why? Because one person, one person was not impressed with Haman and one person refused to pay him the homage that he felt like he was due. It's just another reminder, our value, our sense of worth better not come from or be based on the opinions of others. It's a shaky foundation that will always crumble. You see, pride loves to make comparisons. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for pride means, quote, one who shows himself above other people. And I don't know why, but it is pride that usually focuses its time on on wealth on family, on promotions, and on accomplishments. And actually, Haman is is pretty typical of the person whose total preoccupation is with his prestige and his possessions. Look at verses 10 and 11. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways that the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. So, yeah, he's, he's pretty excited about himself. And why is this kind of pride the greatest sin? Why? Why is this kind of pride the greatest sin? Because pride robs God of his right to get the glory, to be the source of all that we have. You know, there's a great story in Luke chapter 12. 
Luke chapter 12 is where Jesus had said, basically, <laughs> life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told this story. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store all my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night... Your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Haman needed someone to stroke his ego, so his wife seems up to the task. Haman spouts about his hatred of Mordecai the Jew, and that because of him he can't find any satisfaction in life. So his wife and his friends, instead of telling him the truth, they tell him exactly what he wants to hear. Haman is a case study as to what happens to our hearts when our idols are challenged. Think about that. He's a case study for all of us. Haman needed God to fill the hole in his heart, but no one told him that. No one had the courage to tell him that. In fact, a skilled counselor could have probably helped Haman to try to uncover the insecurity of his heart and the desperately wicked nature of his heart. To show him that he was using all these things to fill the God-shaped vacuum in his life. But he didn't have that kind of friend. He didn't have that kind of person in his life. That leads us to our final lesson, which is God's sovereignty. You've got Esther's courage, Haman's pride, and then God's sovereignty. And look with me at verse 14, the last verse in our text. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up, reaching to a height of 50 cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and so he had the pole set up. Now there's a good idea, only it didn't quite work out like Haman had hoped. Next week we'll look at what really happens. Haman was thrilled with the idea, so he had a gallows erected for Mordecai. It's just another picture of how people think of happiness. As soon as Mordecai would be hung... Then Haman could be happy because this evil person in his life is gone, right? What Haman did not count on, though, is that God was working against him. God was working against him. That brings us to our verse of the week, which is James 4, verse 6. James 4, verse 6. Let's read it together. He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. The great preacher, George Whitfield, once said these words, and as we prepare to go to the table in just a little bit, listen to these words. Oh, that I could always see myself in my proper colors. I believe I should have little reason to fall down and worship myself. God be merciful to me. A sinner. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the mercy that you've extended to us. We're all proud people, Lord. 
and so diminish our pride. Give us grace, Lord, more grace, that we would always give you the glory and the credit for everything that you accomplish in us and through us. Thank you, Father, for your great and wonderful salvation. And we humbly bow before your throne of grace, acknowledging that you're the source of everything that we have, everything that we would ever hope to have. Forgive us for ever taking credit for anything that you have done. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done on the cross. And in just a little bit, we'll celebrate that, Lord, at your table. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.